Open Globe Talk is a podcast series for aspiring ophthalmologists and trainees interested in obtaining education in global ophthalmology. Be part of this unique setup as we interview ophthalmologists around the globe virtually and get to create equity in service, innovation, and medical education. Welcome back to another episode of Open Globe Talk. I'm your host, Rizal Nathani, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Campbell University. Today, I'm joined by an esteemed guest, Dr. Jeff Petty, who serves as the Vice Chair of Education and is the Associate Professor at the University of Utah Department of Ophthalmology. His love for Utah shines through in his academic journey, where he obtained his BA from the University of Utah. And while he got his medical degree from the Ohio State University College of Medicine, he decided to return back to the University of Utah to complete his residency in ophthalmology, where he also completed his executive MBA and fellowship training in anterior segment. Dr. Petty specializes in complex cataract surgery and complex anterior segment surgery, and he is prominently known for his health policy and international outreach work in ophthalmology. He lectures nationally and internationally on cataract surgery and global ophthalmology. And in 2017, Dr. Petty was awarded with the Artemis Award in recognition for his international and local work. So with that, um, I just want to welcome Dr. Petty to the stage and hand over the mic for him to uh, introduce himself. Well, thank you, Rizal. It's such a, a kind introduction. And again, I just want to congratulate you on uh, taking the initiative to make this happen. Uh, it is rare that I read a personal statement of an applicant for ophthalmology that doesn't touch on some sort of aspect of global medicine, being a global citizen, service to the underserved. And uh, this is one of the things that can really help move uh, that discussion forward. Uh, I would say the biggest challenge and obstacle facing North American ophthalmologists in trying to work in the global ophthalmology space is a disconnectedness uh, and lack of connection ability to collaborate together. And that, that certainly is one of my passions. And, and this initiative you've started uh, will, will go a long way toward uh, remedying that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I definitely agree with that. Um, our worlds have certainly divided during the pandemic. And I think in, in the sense, the virtual landscape has really united us. So um, I just wanted to start off the conversation on what got you interested in global ophthalmology? That's a great question. I, I would say it was much... Uh, as often happens in our lives, it was really the intersection of serendipity uh, and also, you know, who I am and what I was interested in. I could very much have seen myself being engaged or involved in, in a number of um, a number of movements and a number of what, what I will call non-traditional paths in medicine. We're, we're so just fortunate, and blessed to be able to see patients, treat patients, care for patients. And in addition to that, you know, there's a lot more that we can do, particularly in, in the realm of things like uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, in things such as global ophthalmology, or, and when I say global, I do want to be clear, I'm including care in our own backyard, that type of global. Uh, every one of us has underserved populations in our own backyard. And, 
And in fact, that's where my journey began. And, and I would actually venture to say that's where most people's journey into this realm begins. It's um, a free clinic. It's volunteering uh, maybe as an undergraduate, you know, in, in, in some sort of opportunity in this space. And I just find that it's people uh, as they, you know, kind of align their own values and what they want to accomplish on this earth with the serendipity of opportunity that presents itself in front of them. Uh, that's where, you know, you'll end up finding your own path. And for me, it was volunteering at a, a free clinic here in Salt Lake City. It was having a mentor like Jeff Tabin, who opened up more opportunities to do a global ophthalmology fellowship in Nepal. It was additional mentorship through, you know, Randy Olson and Alan Crandall to continue that work at the Moran Eye Center. And again, this could have been a pathway to toward many different uh, areas of impact. Uh, and for me, my mentors happen to be these extraordinary global ophthalmologists who work to open doors for me. That's amazing and, and very inspiring, actually. Um, Dr. Tabin, um, Dr. Crandall, and Dr. Olson um, have all been mentors or idols for, for all of us. And we would love to have mentors like that. And in that light, what would you recommend You know, we do um, if we wanted to search out for mentors like that? really start with the low-lying fruit. What is available in your area? Now, there will be an opportunity, again, to volunteer somewhere. Perhaps you'll maybe even need to create an opportunity. Uh, there are, I, I won't share that at this point, but like I say, there could be something where you might need to you know, explore and cr create your own way. But for the most part, you'll have those volunteer opportunities. And then as you start what I call showing up, uh, you listen to a podcast like this, you get to know someone's story, you go to the lectures on global ophthalmology, the academy meeting or the cataract surgery meeting, you start to interface and interact with these individuals during residency, maybe you won't have an international rotation. Well, that's okay. That's not determinative for whether or not you work in this space. That simply means you won't have that ease of access at that point in your careers. But I can tell you a global ophthalmology fellowship, one full year of your life dedicated to learning and understanding the space, uh, that's something that's really available to anyone that wants to do that right now. And the doors will be open. The, it's rarer that people actually take those paths. It's much more common that we follow uh, what I'll call kind of the path of least resistance, which is the, the more typical path. You do medical school, residency, clinical fellowship, get a job. And that really is where the current is really taking us. And you almost have to fight against that to a certain extent to chart your own path, to find these unique uh, opportunities to really engage and be involved. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that, actually, because growing up, I think um, the aspect of, uh, of affording a global um, uh, experience was very difficult. And I'm sure a lot of students struggle with that. Um, so it's really nice to hear that uh, we can join conferences that are close to us. Um, in, in so doing that, um, I, I wanted to steer the conversation towards uh, your foundation that was uh, Maureen's operation site, which was founded in 2012. And it provides free surgery to local underserved populations. Can you share us uh, share a little bit about how that got started and what inspired you to provide local care to underserved populations just in our backyard? 
Yeah, this this was very much my opportunity. I really appreciate what you said. Um, that th- there's a big differential in resources that we all have, and and you know it kind of might feel like as a, an applying medical student that everyone has traveled around the world and volunteered in ophthalmology in remote settings, and that everyone started an orphanage at some point somewhere in the world. Uh, and you know, for me, that there wouldn't have been a path for me to ever afford an international experience really until at the end of my residency. And so for me, this, this program, so this was this essentially this, this simple. I'm a resident, I'm volunteering with our co-residents and we go to Fourth Street Clinic, it's our homeless clinic. And every year, you know, we treat patients, we see patients and, and you know, you'd see these patients come back every year and, oh, you were 2080 last year and now you're 2200, you're legally blind and you have cataracts and we still have nothing that we can offer you. There's complexities there in our healthcare system that we won't get into now. Suffice it to say, because cataract surgery is considered elective, there are very few pathways. You can't show up into the ER and say, I'm blind with cataract, cure me, I'm losing my job, right? That's just not a thing. And so it was a really beautiful experience. Brian Stagg, my co-resident at the time, he and I kind of put our heads together and it was more of like a, what if, what if we opened our doors on a Saturday when the OR is not running normally? And what if everyone volunteered their time? And what if industry donated all the supplies? And what if we could get anesthesia to agree to care for these patients on a Saturday and not get paid and still assume the same level of risk and liability for a challenging population? And the nice, real beautiful thing about where I trained at the Moroni Center is it is much more of a how do we do it and not simply a no, we can't do it. So often, you know, I, I can tell you at every one of those steps, someone could have said, no, this isn't possible for whatever reason they would have liked, because anything, I mean, you, you like I say, could be a liability issue, could be, well, we can't ask our people to volunteer on a Saturday because they're already, you know, again, a a number of things that could have derailed this, but at every step it was, well, let's see if we can make this happen. It started very, very humbly, 12 surgeries on a Saturday, two two ORs. We had, again, everyone volunteering their time and, and every one of these people came in that day. They were essentially all bilaterally blind from cataracts. And it was just this like extraordinary opportunity for us to come together, provide a service. And since then it's grown. Uh, There is an an operation site that's held by um, ASCRS, Association for Cataract, American Society of Cataract Refractive Surgeons called Operation Site. And they really support and do the same thing uh, on a national basis. Oh, that's uh, actually a really beautiful initiative. I like the fact that this was, you know, something that uh, you could do outside of uh, normal hours of operation. And you found that opportunity where you could serve and expand um, your services. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot uh, when you think about it. It just takes important, uh, it just takes a very uh, meticulous eye to see where things can fit in if you're passionate about uh, serving the underserved. And it can happen in our backyard, like you mentioned. Well, I, I appreciate your comments. I just want to make, make one follow-up. I, th- I think it's very thoughtful. You won't always run into the level of support that, that we had. And like I say, it just would have been so simple for someone to say, we just can't. For, for again, any number of reasons they decided to latch onto. But it was really more not, 
you know, why could, why should, or could this not happen? Or how do we actually make it happen? And so in your journeys, right, it's not going to be that simple. You may not always have those resources. You may not always have that backing, but I can tell you the doing something is always better than doing nothing because you have no idea what doors will open after that. And, and that's, again, one of the beautiful things about the journey is, you know, you can't really figure out where things will go. Uh, we look back at our lives 10 years ago and you think, how did I ever end up here? And it's going to be the same, same, same journey looking forward. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is uh, so true with, with a lot of medical students and uh, residents starting up new initiatives during this virtual, uh, I guess, season. Um, where we're trying to make sure that uh, we give equity of medical education and resources to everybody, not just uh, those who may be coming from resource backgrounds. Um, so I, I love the fact that you were able to give your resources uh, from a place that offered, offered that strong foundation. Um, and with that, you know, I want to steer the conversation towards being a fellowship director and uh, doing, um, you know, deciding on the length of time abroad uh, and the types of countries you associate with when you determine uh, where fellows will be participating. That's a really good question. It's one that I, I, I very much like to discuss. One of the things that I've really felt, uh, again, training here, being a faculty here, is when I've come forward with something that may be a little bit outside the box or a new idea, I've really been supported in it, regardless of where, again, things end up. And I feel a real intense obligation to help kind of pay that forward. So on, on one hand, we have international partners all over the world. We've got amazing collaborations at Telkanga at the, with the Arab and Eye Care System. And and we, we work very diligently to try and provide value for them as well, uh, hosting their observers, uh, you know, be it a cornea observership, you know, their faculty, trying to, again, make this truly collaborative between the institutions. And so, of course, we will have our fellows go spend time in those places because they get to see in low resource settings, extraordinary care being delivered. The highest level of care you can find in the world with with where, where they are extremely resource limited relative to you know, the resources that, that we find in our own operating rooms. So that will be a must for a global fellow. Now, whether or not they spend more time at a partner site like the, the uh, place where I work more in Tanzania, or perhaps it's more of a longitudinal stay somewhere like Micronesia, or it's you know, working in Haiti or Ghana, that can largely depend on the fellow and what they're coming in with and what their interests are. Do they have a real education interest? Well, in that case, we really need to get you in working with our residency program collaborations. Uh, perhaps you have an oculoplastics background or you have a retina background. That's really going to steer where we're going to have you work because we need you to work in areas where you can see how care can be provided well in low resource settings. We need you to interface with the global leaders in those settings as well. Be in those meetings, be on the committees so that you, again, as you're finishing your fellowship, you're well positioned to continue having that, that uh, impact that you hope to from the fellowship. So we definitely try to tailor our fellowship to the individual, uh, what they're bringing into the fellowship. Uh, and by the same token, um, we have, uh, again, so many partners in so many places that we could potentially have you work. Um, 
that that really this kind of the sky's the limit. I mean, it's, it's a fun brainstorm session to have. Yeah, and uh, just recently we spoke with Dr. Bernicell, who was a train a fellow from the Marine Eye Center, and we had a wonderful time discussing about her uh, unique uh, fellowship at Marine, but also in, in London. And I was wondering, you know, as, as a fellowship director, uh, what would your recommendations be in terms of how to, um, you know, what order uh, we should pursue these fellowships? You know, we've, we've thought a lot about this. Um, all right, so let's just take a basic scenario. You are a resident, you're considering, do I apply to glaucoma or do I apply to global ophthalmology help? I'm not sure which one I'd like to do. Um, we'll talk about the public health piece uh, here at the end. Uh, our ability in the fellowship to really have you learn and understand how glaucoma, your future subspecialty is going to be practiced and how you can best collaborate with, with glaucoma providers or teach glaucoma, if, if indeed that's part of your role, you'll be best suited to do that after your glaucoma fellowship. So we strongly recommend, if you're thinking of subspecialty, subspecialization, pursue that, because now you're coming in with a lot more opportunity and resources, not to mention you've just had one more year of seasoning as an ophthalmologist. Um, I can tell you coming out after a chief your, your final PGY four year of residency, and just hopping into the world of international ophthalmology, it's unbelievably overwhelming. You're probably an advanced beginner surgeon at that point. As, as fast and as efficient as you are in a cataract surgery, you're now, the, the last thing you need in your growth, for the most part, is a bunch of really complex cases and potentially even in a scenario where they're looking to you to be the one to, you know, manage those. That's a situation we would never put someone in, but you can see how that, that while is an amazing opportunity and you will grow can be a challenge for someone just coming straight out of residency. Now, if you're really looking at making an academic career out of global ophthalmology, there's nothing, nothing better than, than going a a true public health route. Maybe you have a master's of public health, but if you don't, I think Dr. Dr. Bernheisel uh, and then Dr. Jacqueline O'Banion, they've really blazed some trails here. Doing this ophthalmology specific public health degree in London, and you're not working with the leaders in North America, you're working with the leaders from every continent around the world, your cohort of individuals, you're gonna have people from Africa, from Asia, from really every part of the globe, South America, all coming together. And, and what could be a better genuine learning experience than that, which is very different from a public health offering in, in the United States, which would be more generalist and also wouldn't have that breadth of exposure to the different uh, geographic, um, geographic students that you could have in your, in your class with you. Amazing. Um, really appreciate that detailed response. I know that this is a question that roams into everybody's mind nearing the end of residency. So uh, really important question to, to get opinions on. Um, going forward to, uh, you know, what makes Maureen unique? Uh, I know you've spoken about how much uh, support the program gives. And I was kind of curious uh, if there was, you know, a couple things that you want our listeners to keep in mind as they select programs, uh, what, would you, what would you say uh, defines Marine uh, different from other global ophthalmology programs? Well, Razul, I really, I mean, I wanna thank you for giving me that, that opportunity. Um, and I'm gonna deflect just a little bit. Um, I, I, I will say 
what really distinguishes Moran is we are a place which really likes thinking forward, thinking outside the box, not being bound by the tradition of how we've, we've always done things because it's in supporting and investing, uh, putting resources around new ideas that you can have these. I mean, the, the first Global Ophthalmology Fellowship was at Moran. That only happens at a place that's willing to take that step out. So as far as what makes Moran unique, I'll just leave that there. All of the Global Ophthalmology Fellowships that you guys are considering are going to offer something unique. And, and, and again, you know, if you're talking about a better or, you know, if you're kind of categorizing, so you have five domains, you know, amount of time you spend overseas, amount of surgery you do, amount of exposure to public health, all those sorts of things, you know, you can, you can weight those differently and look at the fellowships differently. And they all really do have something unique to offer. And as you go through that process as an applicant, you'll get to interview with those, you'll get to hear those, see what the different options and um, opportunities are. Uh, I, I would say, you know, if I was advising someone considering this, I would kind of ask, why not? We as physicians are in the unique position on earth where we will always be employed. We will always make more than we need. Student loans, I get it. I'm, you know, well, well into six figures still, and we're always going to make more than we need. We have this amazing opportunity. So one year of your life is not an insignificant commitment. But where you think about why you went into medicine in the first place, why would you not want to take one year to really learn and understand the challenges that we're facing collectively in ophthalmology and be that much better prepared to see and treat your own patients wherever you work the rest of your career? It's, it's this thing just sitting out there for all of us to kind of take advantage of. And like I say, the path of least resistance, the anxiety about getting the right fellowship and getting the right job just, just kind of sweeps us along in that current along the way. I love that explanation. I think it's, it's always about, you know, making meaning of the, of the time you have rather than cutting time uh, for the sake of it. So I really appreciate that. Um, my next question and one of my last questions I wanted to ask, uh, I was kind of curious to know uh, what type of advocacy do you uh, focus on in global ophthalmology? Because it's a topic I've not asked uh, any of my speakers so far. All right. So let's define advocacy because it's kind of an interesting term, you know, as, you, as you're hearing it for the first time, whether you're in med school or a resident. So, you know, advocacy can be really anything that you are putting yourself out there for to, to, to fight for something, right? Advocacy traditionally in ophthalmology is scope of practice, right? It's maintaining patient safety and maintaining, the, ensuring that patients who are perhaps otherwise naive or ignorant understand that the person that's treating them is operating in a way that they've been trained to work be that surgically, lasers, or otherwise. That's just kind of a traditional advocacy. Now, advocacy is taking on all sorts of new, uh, is taking on all sorts of new meanings within ophthalmology. So one right now, right, you, you look at the, the challenge facing the world in terms of global warming. It's one that we can't fathom. It's kind of like understanding how big the universe is. And yet it is coming at us. It will be a public health crisis, um, our ability to deliver care to refugees, right? These, these millions of people who are going to have to be transplanted to, to care for them. 
I mean, that, that's a problem that's extraordinary. So, so kind of green ophthalmology, something that you know, largely uh, movement largely started at Aravind with them measuring what is their impact? What is their, what's their carbon footprint of doing cataract surgeries compared to you know, the rest of the world? Clearly, clearly we have a reckoning right now with social injustice and social justice and, and racism and having to confront these things sitting right in front of us, looking at the inequities present, not just in medicine and how disproportionately represented some groups are, but ophthalmology sadly is worse. Um, I, I, you know, we, we have not reckoned with this. We have not done this well. And so advocacy takes on so many, so many contexts. And that's where there's such a beautiful opportunity for the young ophthalmologists and the young budding ophthalmologists is you guys are the ones that are going to change this, right? You're, you're largely going to be the ones to help us become aware of where, where are the blind spots? What are the things we need to be thinking of that we're not even thinking about yet? And, and the nice thing is I can tell you at the highest levels of leadership, whether it's the Academy of Ophthalmology, it's academic programs, the leaders are listening and they're being humble and they're learning and they're wanting to be better stewards of our culture, better stewards uh, of ophthalmology and its representation, better global stewards as well. And of course, better stewards for the you know millions and millions of people across the world that don't have access to care. That's amazing. You know, I think uh, it, it's such a learning platform to, to hear from leaders like you speak about your experiences and what you learned so far. And I think, you know, we all learn alongside you and from you uh, in terms of what we need to carry on into the next generation. And it's amazing that I got to sit down with you and ask you all these questions that I'd been waiting for. Um, and you have answered uh, all these wonderful um, questions in a, in a way to address that we're all in it together, that we're in a community uh, fighting and making ophthalmology a better field. Well, um, it genuinely is an honor. I, I, I am so, so pleased uh, and so proud of what you are doing. It, it is the, it's the only thing we can control. It's, it's, you know, we're born with these unique characteristics, right? Not everyone can like put together a podcast and, be thoughtful about the questions and do all the research that you've done in the background. And, and you might feel like, oh, anyone can do it. It's easy. Well, that's because it's easy for you. And as you grow throughout your careers, you're going to start to recognize what are the unique things that I bring to the table. And then we just do it. We use whatever our unique skills are in a way that makes a difference and improves things. And it really is the only way that the world gets better is when we take those steps to make it better. And, you know, final little comment, it was Harry Truman who said it, and I'm sure thousands of people have said it over the millennia, but, you know, paraphrasing, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't really care who gets the credit. And, and that's going to be the challenge for the young ophthalmologists because it's going to require collaboration that takes us outside of our what about me and what's in it for me, because these are problems that we have to sacrifice for because they're bigger than one person could fix. So thank you again. This is an honor. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Open Globe Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Open Globe Talk. You can access audio recordings on our website, openglobetk.com. 
where we make our sessions available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Our release dates are each Friday evening of the week we interview our guest speakers. We are incredibly appreciative of our listeners and hope you ride along to meet more inspirational figures in global ophthalmology. Thanks and take care.